This is a CBC podcast. How much do you remember from this year? Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announcing a U.S. fighter jet took out an unidentified object over the Yukon. I have concluded that the very high threshold required for the invocation of the act was met. No two nations on earth are bound by such close ties, friendship, family, commerce, and culture. Albertans chose to move our province forward by re-electing a strong, stable, united, conservative majority government. Any involvement of a foreign government in the killing of a Canadian citizen on Canadian soil is an unacceptable violation of our sovereignty. This is a great victory for all of us in Manitoba. Will the Prime Minister stop trying to distract from his losing debate on the carbon tax and on the suffering Canadians here at home and finally take responsibility for all the misery he has caused? The political news cycle was in overdrive in 2023. So let's see what you and our competitors can recall. I'm Catherine Cullen, and yes, it just might be the most wonderful time of the year, the House Year-End News Quiz. Your chance to test your smarts against three stellar political watchers in three rounds of questions, plus our music round. So buckle up, fire up your grey matter, put your thinking caps on. This special edition of the House is now in session. Here with me in studio are three eager contestants who are ready to throw down for the House Annual Quiz Crown. Christopher Nardi of the National Post, welcome. Here to lose to Murad today. (laughs) Shannon Proudfoot of the Globe and Mail, hello. I hope you have higher hopes than that. No, also managing (laughs) expectations, but I'm going to have fun. (laughs) And last year's champion, incredibly intimidating apparently, Murad Hamadi of The Logic, here to defend his title. I can't think of people I'd rather beat. Okay, each question is worth one point, and you'll get one last chance to score points in our music round at the end. Now let's hear those buzzers so we know who's who, Murad. Shannon. And Chris. Okay, we're ready to rock. Here we go. 2023 kicked off with MPs calling for an emergency committee meeting in early January, weeks before Parliament was set to reconvene. Have a listen to this audio clue. Canadians deserve better, period. In recent days, some explanations and apologies have been offered, but there's an important role to be played by this committee. First, in helping Canadians understand what happened, what their rights are, and what kind of compensation they may be entitled to. Which parliamentary committee was urgently convened and why? A hush falls over Ooh. the crowd. First question coming in strong. Yeah. January was a long time ago. Uh, I mean, I'll start the bidding. Okay, Murad. <laughs> Finance on convoy uh, banking. I'm measures. sorry, that is not correct. Chris Nardi? I'm going to try with ethics. On the no, the Emergency Act. Would no, have been I'm no. sorry, Shannon. Do you want to take a stab at this? You got nothing to lose here. I was going to guess this had to do with the Arrive Can app, but I don't know. It was the Transport Committee to discuss the holiday travel oh. chaos. Ooh, a stumper right out of the gate. Let's give you all a chance to redeem yourselves. As MPs returned to the Hill, the opposition took the government to task over tens of millions of dollars in government contracts to consultants. Which particular consulting firm was in the crosshairs? 
Chris. McKenzie. You got it. Chris Nardi on the board with our first point. Which former government official previously held a top job at McKinsey and was called to testify at committee? Ooh, I'm going to give that one to Chris, too. It was close. Dominic Barton, a former ambassador to China? That is correct. Dominic Barton once chaired an advisory committee for former finance minister Bill Morneau. Morneau made headlines early in the year for publishing a book that offered some economic advice and more than a little bit of shade towards the prime minister's office. What was the title of Bill Morneau's book? Oh, yeah, I I I don't think I finished. Yes. I buzzed it and I shouldn't have because all I could remember is that it came out the same week as Prince Harry's memoir and it wasn't called Spare. That's all I got. I have, I have, I have the book. From, from where to here? Technically, it's where to from here. Oh! The, uh, I have word from our quiz master, Aponhai, that Murad gets the yes, point for getting the title wow. right there. That's fair. And we have a special copy of Where To From Here, signed autographed copy for you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on. It wasn't even February yet when eyes started to turn towards the skies. On January 28th, a suspected Chinese spy balloon was first spotted over Alaska. It was eventually shot down by the Americans over the Atlantic, but on its way there, it passed over a significant chunk of Canadian airspace. Which provinces and or territories did it fly over? Murad. Yukon. BC? Yep. A point goes to Murad. That was not it for mysterious aerial objects in Canadian airspace. Another object was located over the Yukon in February. Canadian and American fighter jets were scrambled in an official NORAD operation and a U.S. F-22 shot down the object. How did then-Defense Minister Anita Anand describe the shape of the object? Oh. (laughs) Uh. Chris? Was it something along the lines of undescribed object? We are looking for one word. Think geometry class. I'm taking a flyer here. Go for it. Spherical. Oh, so close, but so far, Murad. Want to give it a go? Sure. Uh, Oblong? (laughs) (laughs) No, you were all paying attention in geometry class, but it was cylindrical. Mm. Cylindrical. Mm. Did we ever find it? It was the weather (laughs) balloon from those experts. Uh, There was a, a weather balloon club, and they'd put out a weather balloon and then lost it. There were lots of questions around why an American fighter jet got there first to shoot down this object over the Yukon. Chief of the Defense Staff General Wayne Eyre later told a committee that Canadian CF-18s were in fact delayed due to what? Chris. I think it was repairs, wasn't it? It was not repairs. Shannon. Ice? Bingo. But I will say they were delayed in departing Cold Lake because of freezing rain. I understand that the airstrip was a bit of a skating rink, as happens in in northern Alberta. The point there goes to Shannon, but wait, there's more. While the search was on in the Yukon for the downed object, the U.S. shot down another aerial object over which great lake? Chris. I think it was Lake Erie. It was not. Murad. Huron. You are right. It was Lake Huron. All told, how many objects were shot down in North American airspace in the month of February? Chris. Too many. (laughs) (laughs) Incorrect, Sarah Shannon. Uh, So we've just discussed three of them, but I'm thinking there was more than one Chinese spy balloon. I'm going to guess four. Four is the correct answer. Okay. Former interim Conservative Party leader Candace Bergen stepped down as an MP in February. Which Manitoba riding did she hold? 
Portage Lisker? You're right. Mm-hmm. Former Foreign Affairs and Transport Minister Mark Garneau also stepped down as an MP early in the year. Which Quebec riding did he represent? Oh, Murad. Andy G. Westman? That is correct. February trundled on with the release of the long-awaited final report of the Emergencies Act inquiry. One of Justice Paul Rouleau's many conclusions involved an alliterative statement. Rouleau said the events of January and February 2022 were a failure of what? Oh, Shannon, go for it. I'm torn between being funny and trying to be right. Failure of federalism. You are yes. correct. Yes. That was the right not answer. Really very not really funny. The funny, but one. <laughs> the funny the fun one, one was going to be a failure of friendship. Oh. <laughs> not sure we're going to give you any points for that. Uh, Justice Rulo also concluded that the federal government met the, quote, very high threshold to invoke the Emergencies Act. It was the first time the act had been invoked after Parliament passed it in which year? Oh, I think that was Chris. And it was uh, under Trudeau 19, I want to say 67. No, No, it wasn't. Shannon? 82? Nope. Murad, you want to give it a go? Uh, 68. No, 1988. Oh, boy. Oh, wow. Okay, it was not under Trudeau. I just Let's hear another audio (laughs) clue. On TikTok, uh, we made a similar decision to uh, the American government and others when we said that we do not feel that the security profile is uh, safe for government-issued phones. Um, there are concerns around privacy and security, and that, me- that is why we have banned uh, TikTok from government-issued phones. You heard the prime minister there, but which government official actually made the decision to ban TikTok from government devices? Oh, I wasn't done, Chris Nardi. Murad? Mono Fortier? The no. Oh, I know this. <laughs> Shannon, I don't. Yeah. Whisper it to me real quick, Murad. <laughs> it was the CIO. Yes. It was the chief information officer. Catherine Luello. <clears throat> We're not done with this issue, though. Who did the prime minister acknowledge the TikTok ban on government-issued phones would be particularly frustrating for? Oh, Murad. His children. And I, as I recall, he said, yes, I just did that. <laughs> Let's listen. I am obviously uh, concerned with uh, their privacy and their security, which is uh, why I'm glad that on their phones that happen to be issued by the government, they no longer access TikTok. Uh, that was a big frustration for them. Really? This applies to us too, Dad? Yes, I just did that. <laughs> Good memory, Murad. That's amazing. (laughs) As spring arrived, the Liberal government was under increasing pressure to investigate claims that the Chinese government meddled in the last two federal elections. Before Trudeau announced a special rapporteur, he directed two intelligence review bodies to probe the issue. What are the official titles of those two intelligence review bodies? You mean full title? Yes. No, I don't just want the acronym. So National Security and Intelligence Review Agency and the National Security uh, and Intelligence uh, Committee of Parliamentarians. Yes, that is the correct answer. Well done, Chris. Don't ask me to do that again. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The Prime Minister eventually tapped David Johnston to take on the role of Special Rapporteur to investigate and make recommendations to combat foreign interference. His appointment was intensely criticized by opposition parties, largely because of Johnston's family connections to the Trudeaus and the Pierre Elliott Trudeau Foundation. Johnston endured further criticism after putting forward which main recommendation in his report. Chris. It was the one to not launch a formal inquiry into foreign interference. That is correct. A week after that report dropped in a 174 to 150 vote in the House of Commons, MPs passed a motion recommending David Johnston step aside 
which party put forward that motion? Murad. The NDP. You're right. Okay, let's take a minute here and talk just a little bit about foreign interference. Chris, we're talking about interference from China's government a lot less now. Is this still an important issue? Absolutely. And especially in the optics that we are constantly wondering on the Hill when the next election will be constantly, uh, you know, extrapolating when the deal between the NDP and the Liberals could fall through. And foreign interference happens all the time on a daily basis, but the impacts are most seen and most potentially consequential when they affect an election and the period leading up to an election, obviously. And so I think we're talking about it less uh, for a very specific reason. When the Trudeau government decided to formally launch the foreign interference inquiry, it did have the, I'm sure the Liberals would say, beneficial impact of taking that discussion off of their plate and putting it in the hands of Justice Hogue, who was uh, named as commissioner for the inquiry. Justice Hogue is in the process of getting it going. She does have a first preliminary report due in February, where I suspect we'll get kind of a roundup of what was found under David Johnston, but also how she's going to proceed forward with this inquiry. But by doing so, we do have someone now that justice and a team of lawyers and advisors who are going to be diving deep into the dark secrets of of our Canadian national security apparatus, presumably, and and everything else we have, and will be coming to us with this issue. But in the meantime, apart from the the moments like the India interference allegations, the murder, and all that, it has taken a lot of the pressure off the government, but it remains mm-hmm. evergreen. Shannon, Chris raises the question of India, and it really did seem to be an inflection point in this conversation when all of a sudden we thought, oh, there is a different kind of foreign interference we might be talking about. Talk to me about how that conversation has changed. Well, I think it's exactly what you and Chris have just been riffing on, which is that it it took all the attention off China. I always thought it was it must have been sort of a strange moment of vindication for the Liberal government because they kept saying, remember, in the first few weeks or months of the China discussion, kind of like, oh, ho, ho, nothing to see here. We all knew foreign interference was happening all the time everywhere. And so the India revelation sort of had the benefit of broadening that spotlight. Because I think that the issue with China... Um, plucked in a particularly disadvantageous way at liberal weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Um, There has been a certain pronounced, shall we say, naivete or opportunism around sort of generations of liberals when it comes to China. So that looked like a very particular kind of sore point for a liberal government and for it to be China that was sort of sticking its fingers in the pie. And once it broadened to India, and then you also sort of had, I think, the validating effect of the United States getting involved and now those revelations, I think on the whole, broadening the discussion probably help the government. Murad, given, uh, as Chris was saying, that this public inquiry is getting underway, do you think the government will have a much better handle on this by the time we find ourselves in the next federal election? I think they've got a few months of having a handle on the narrative. I mean, remember where a lot of this starts, right? It's a series of media stories between the globe and global trading off um, revelations from reports that had been redacted, things that the government was supposed to know and was supposedly not acting on. Those stories have not dried up, but they're not, I don't think they're quite as propulsive or explosive as they were in those early days. Uh, And now you've, as Chris was saying, you've put it in the context of this inquiry that will reach conclusions. Uh, You know, I know there's been a lot of talk of like, well, we need, if there are going to be practical measures, we need those practical measures as early as possible next year if there's to be an election the following mm-hmm. one, you know, as scheduled. But to Shannon's point uh, on the India issue and what we're seeing out of the U.S., it, it it's still stark in terms of a controlling the narrative thing. 
how much less information we have about any one of these things than our peers in the U.S. do yeah. and the public mm-hmm. in the U.S. do, you know, that uh, indictment lays out the whole thing, including the Canadian parts of it. We know more about the Canadian, the plot yeah. in Canada through the U.S. than we do here, which is a constant source of frustration in Canada. So that is to say, I think, insofar as the government will continue to control the information flow, I guess it depends how active the leakers are next year. Interesting. Okay. Let's dive back into the quiz. U.S. President Joe Biden made his long-awaited first official trip to Canada in March and addressed a very packed House of Commons. No two nations on earth are bound by such close ties, friendship, family, commerce, and culture. Our labor unions cross borders. So do our sports leagues. Baseball, basketball, hockey. Listen to this, hockey. Biden went on to say he likes Canada's teams, except which team? Chris. The Toronto Maple Leafs. Yes. I have to say, I like your teams, except the Leafs. (laughs) Same here. Yeah, I was going to say, blatant currying a favor with the rest of Canada. Well, we're not done yet. Why specifically did Joe Biden say he doesn't like the Leafs? Murad. Because they beat the Flyers and his wife's a Philly girl. I'll tell you why. They beat the Flyers back in January. That's why. And if I didn't see that, I married a Philly girl. If I didn't say that, I'd be sleeping alone, fellas. I like you, but not that much. Don't mess with Murad's memory. Wow. All right. Biden and Trudeau made news during the trip by expanding which agreement between the two countries? Murad. The Safe Third Country Agreement. That is correct. Moving on to a new topic, Prince Edward Island held the first general election of the year in April, which saw Dennis King's progressive conservatives return for a second term. Which party came in second place and forms the official opposition in the PEI legislature? I think that was Chris. I think it was the Green Party? No. No. Murad? The NDP. No. Shannon? By process of elimination, the liberals. (laughs) By process of elimination, you got it right. I will take it. Which other party holds seats in the PEI legislature? Chris Nardi. No. No, Murad? The Greens. Yes, and like an, an invisible point for integrity there, Chris, for, for pointing to Murad. I said the Greens earlier. Yeah. Well, because the Greens were the official opposition last time around. Uh, and I, I don't think it counts on the scoreboard, but in our hearts, yeah. Chris Nardi. But Murad, I, Murad gets the point. I for appreciate the- you, Chris. <laughs> some kindness here on the house. Okay, back to the competition. Also in April, some very special guests were welcomed onto Parliament Hill. And you know what? I'm going to hand this next question over to one of them. Our next clue comes from the astronaut who will be the first Canadian ever to venture to the moon, Jeremy Hansen. (laughs) Thanks, Catherine. I did get to visit Parliament Hill back in the spring with my fellow Artemis II crew members. The four of us, three Americans and myself, one Canadian, will complete a lunar flyby. We're going to travel over one million kilometers in space before returning to Earth and have some spectacular views of both the moon and the Earth. Ours will be the first crewed test flight in the Artemis program, which lays the groundwork for further exploration of the moon and eventually Mars. Astronauts on future Artemis missions will be able to dock their spacecraft to the Lunar Gateway, a small space station that will orbit the moon. And Canada is making a major contribution to the Lunar Gateway, which allows two Canadian Space Agency astronauts, including myself, to join flights to the moon. Now, 
Here's your quiz question. What is Canada's contribution to the Lunar Gateway? Did everyone buzz in there? I have Shannon? I did. The Canadarm 2? Oh, so close. Uh, next up, I'm going to say Chris. Well, that was that was going to be my answer, but I think there's a is there a telescope? That would be, no, no. Maradi. The Canada Arm Three. Rats. I love it. That's right. Canada Arm Three, a highly autonomous robotic system, will be permanently on board the Lunar Gateway. A big thank you to the Canadian Space Agency astronaut and Artemis II crew member, Jeremy Hansen, for a little help there. May saw King Charles' official coronation ceremony. A big question for a lot of Canadians was how our coins would change. And later in the year, the Royal Canadian Mint finally unveiled the answer. What is the key difference between the portrait of Queen Elizabeth on our coins and the portrait of King Charles? <laughs> Shannon <laughs> just had a seizure. I was so eager. He faces the opposite way. That's right. You, I wish everyone could have seen your face there, Shannon. Yes, correct. That is the right answer. May also brought the second general election of the year in Alberta. In her victory speech, Premier Danielle Smith borrowed a phrase from the late Ralph Klein, the former premier, and declared another blank on the prairies. What is the missing word? Maraud. I'll start us. Miracle? Yeah, you're right. Really? Miracle. Nice. Well, to paraphrase our dear friend Ralph Klein, welcome to another Miracle on the Prairies. <laughs> Danielle Smith's United Conservative Party won 49 seats, giving them a majority. How many seats did the UCP win in the capital city of Edmonton? Murad. None. That's also correct. <laughs> in June... Justice Russell Brown stepped down from the Supreme Court. The Canadian Judicial Council had begun looking into an incident from earlier in the year in which the now former Supreme Court justice was accused of being intoxicated and harassing a group in which U.S. state did that alleged incident occur. Chris. Arizona. That is right. Later in the year, Justice Mary Moreau was named to the Supreme Court to fill in that vacancy. How many women now serve on Canada's Supreme Court? Five. Yes, that's right. Five federal by-elections were held over the summer, with the Conservatives winning three seats and the Liberals winning two. Name three of the five new MPs. That was Murad. Uh, Shavloy Majumdar, uh, Ben Carr, uh, and Anna Gaines. Oh, no, I, we can't give it to you, Chris. So can I just, like, bounce off? Anna Gainey. Anna Gainey. Uh, Brendan Leslie and Ben Carr. That's it. What do all five of those MPs have in common? Murad. They're all former political staffers. That's right. Before Parliament Hill rose for the summer, the government secured passage of two pieces of legislation that dealt with online activity and stirred up plenty of controversy in the process. C-11, the Online Streaming Act, became law in April. Which act did it update? The Broadcasting Act. That's right, Marad. I didn't say your oh, name, sorry. though. You didn't look at uh, me. I, I didn't. I, by oh. the rule is say your name. What does the quiz master say here? Okay, Chris. The uh, Broadcasting Act. Yep. C-18, the Online News Act, became law in June. It actually took effect this week, and the deal the government reached with Google to compensate news organizations for sharing links to their pages will see the tech giant pay how much per year? Shannon. $100 million. That is right. Okay, let's take a quick pause here and talk a bit about big tech in politics this year. Shannon, as the year wraps, 
How did the government handle the big tech file? I think this was such a sort of unfortunate, boneheaded example of unintended consequences, because so much of this liberal government's both their self-conception and the brand they want to project is about things like defending a free press and democracy and that kind of hand over heart stuff. And instead, they drafted a piece of legislation that an awful lot of people thought would harm or hinder the very parties they were claiming to want to defend. And I think that just contributed to the overall sense of this government kind of staggering around, stepping on rakes all year. It was sort of maybe the most egregious example, not in the weightiness of it, but in the difference between what they wanted to do and the sort of shining image they had of themselves and how it actually played out. Okay, Chris, that's the politics of it. What do you think this is all actually meant for Canadians? Well, it certainly means that, you know, your view on both those bills as a Canadian is deeply impacted by how you feel about online streaming, censorship, broadly speaking, even though it's not necessarily that in the bill, and funding for the media. And Mm -hmm. I think they've actually done spectacularly well with these bills in kind of increasing some of the divides, or at least showing the divides that exist in Canadian society about government regulation and the fight against big tech. I get the feeling that the Liberals thought that taking on big tech as a fight would be a winning combination for them. And ultimately, it didn't actually quite prove to be that way because Canadians, um, I don't know if it's an attachment or they just see a lot of value in the services that big tech offer, um, were you know, many of them at the very least were opposed to C-11, the, the Online Streaming Act. And, and you know, depending on your views on media funding and government intervention in media funding, you could be staunchly against or for C-18 or just on Google and Meta's side. And so I think that, you know, for me, the biggest effect for Canadians beyond the, the tax, you know, the tax uh, costs is uh, how it kind of exacerbated some divides within society and, and their views on government intervention in these very important issues. Murad, I know one aspect of this that you're interested in is what AI does to this conversation. What are you going to watch for? Yeah, and, you know, sort of putting aside the the predictions of an AI apocalypse for a second, because those are someone else's problem. Um, <laughs> there, We have seen a lot of discussion at the international level about how to govern or regulate AI. I mean, there was this big summit in the UK. Um, and, you know, our innovation minister, Francois-Philippe Champagne, was a big presence at that summit. He's got a domestic bill here. It's a little bit different than the other ones. Like, you do have sort of big tech. I'm not going to pretend like big tech loves this bill or, you know, but they are, they're making noises about being open to regulation because I think of the scale of the issue and the scale of the the voices out there. So what you're likely to see is maybe some, you know, this bill will continue to go through committee. It's going to continue to be tweaked and pushed and pulled in all directions. But what you might see is a little bit more of that stuff happening internationally, whereas C-11 and C-18 have been a relatively, to this point, lonely fight for the liberals here in Canada. We'll be right back. You're listening to the House's annual year-end quiz show. I'm Catherine Cullen, and I'm joined by three parliamentary journalists going head-to-head this year. Murad Hamadi of The Logic, Chris Nardi of The National Post, and Shannon Proudfoot of The Globe and Mail. We've got a score update from Emma, the quiz master in the control room. Shannon has six points, Chris has 10, and Murad is in the lead with 13. Chris is shaking his head angrily, but it is not over yet, everybody. There's plenty of time to to move things around. All right, here we go. Canada's population hit a major milestone this year. In which month did it surpass 40 million people? Murad. June. 
That is correct. A big shakeup came about in July when the federal cabinet was overhauled. How many ministers were dropped altogether? And name five of them. I'm going to give that to Chris. Seven were dropped. Mona Fortier, David Lametti, Marco Mendicino, um, uh, Carolyn Bennett, and Omar Agabra. Yes, correct. Well done. The day Parliament returned in September, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau rose in the chamber to drop a bombshell allegation accusing India's government of being involved in the killing of a sick activist in British Columbia. The same day Trudeau made that statement, what next move did the government announce? Murad? They expelled an Indian diplomat. They expelled a top Indian diplomat. That week proved to be one of the busiest all year. Just a few days later, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky arrived in Ottawa and addressed the House of Commons. Oh, sorry. <laughs> nervous, nervous energy. My fingers cramping now. Are we going to take away a point for that? I think you should because I would be losing by a slightly less humiliating <laughs> That week proved to be one of the busiest all year, as just a few days later, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky arrived in Ottawa and addressed the House of Commons. Zelensky closed his speech with a word that was shared with him earlier that day from which Canadian official? Shannon. Mary Simon. You got it. Today, me and my beautiful First Lady had honor, uh, really had the honor of meeting with the Governor General of Canada, Honorable Mary Simon, and she taught me, she taught me a word from her mother tongue, Ayuinata. Ayuinata, she said, the meaning of this word is don't give up, don't give up, stay strong against all odds. And so shall it be. Then came this. This is by far the biggest hit Canada's diplomatic reputation has ever taken in its history. Intense backlash and criticism from more than just Pierre Polyev after a man who fought in a Nazi unit was applauded by parliamentarians right after Zelensky's speech. House Speaker Anthony Rhoda resigned over the incident. It also spurred calls to disclose more from an investigation into alleged war criminals who entered Canada after the Second World War. What is the name of the commission that conducted that investigation back in the 80s? I was afraid that was going to be the question. <laughs> I just want the listeners to know that my face is screwed up mm. in a concentrating scowl as though this is anywhere mm. in my brain, which it is absolutely not. Are we going to move on, folks? The answer is the Deschen Commission. <sighs> After Anthony Rota resigned, a new speaker election was held with Greg Fergus ultimately landing the job. Name two other MPs who ran for speaker. Chris. Chris Dontremo and Carol Hughes. Correct. Last question on the speaker front. Greg Fergus has faced criticism in recent weeks after appearing in a controversial video shown at the Ontario Liberal Convention. The Conservatives and Bloc Québécois have called for him to resign over concerns that the video breached the impartiality of the speaker's chair. The matter was studied at the House Procedures Committee, and the committee's report ultimately called on Fergus to do which two things? Shannon. Apologize and pay a fine. That's right. Manitoba became the first Canadian province to elect a First Nations Premier when Wab Canoe's NDP won in October. How many seats did the provincial NDP win to form a majority government? We will make this multiple choice. A, 34. B, 
41C46. Oh, that was close. I think it was Chris Nardi. <laughs> I, and, and I'm not even that sure. I think it was 34. You're right, yes. A34. October brought about more big headlines when the Liberal government announced a carbon tax carve-out on home heating oil. The carve-out came after mounting pressure from Atlantic MPs in the Liberal caucus. What percentage of households in the Atlantic provinces continue to use furnace oil to heat their homes? Go for it, Shannon. 40? No. Rats. Chris. It was higher than 70. Also no. Mm. Murad. 30. You're right. It's 30%. What is the current price on carbon? How many dollars per ton of emissions? (laughs) Your fingers are all, you're all poised over your buzzers, but not quite ready to do it. There's no, there's nothing. As Murad says, I will start the bidding. Shannon? $155. No. We go with 175? No. 60? 65. Sorry, oh. Murad. Close, but no cigar. We move on. Bill C-234 presented another opportunity for a carbon tax carve-out. It sought to exempt some fuels used on farms for grain drying and barn heating. After the bill passed the House of Commons earlier this year, it landed in the Senate, where a weeks-long battle broke out over the legislation. What is the status of that bill now as both the House of Commons and Senate have risen for the holidays? Murad. It's passed the Senate and received royal assent. No. Chris. I think it's waiting oh. for... No, it's a third reading in the Senate. No. Oh. Shannon, you want to give it a go? Where else could it be? Uh, back with the House. That oh, is right. Bingo. Wait, I will belatedly blow my whistle. <laughs> I called on you. It's all good. It was amended, which is why I was yeah. back to the House. That's that right. was a really pathetic right. half point that I deserved. No, I, it's, it's all full points <laughs> yeah, here. Points. Conservative leader Pierre Polyev has been one of the most vocal opponents of the Liberals' carbon tax and pledged to keep Parliament sitting through Christmas if the government didn't scrap parts of it. We are going to put in thousands of amendments at committee and in the House of Commons, forcing all-night, round-the-clock voting to block your $20 billion of inflationary spending and the rest of your economically destructive plans until you agree to our demand to take the tax off farmers, First Nations, and families. You You will have no rest until the tax is gone. While parliamentarians have, in fact, headed home for the holidays, the Conservatives did force MPs to go through all-night, round-the-clock voting earlier this month. How many total votes were held over more than 24 hours? Yes, Chris. 125. No. (gasps) What? Murad. 130. Nope. Shannon, you want to give it a go? 127. Oh, so the answer is 137, 125 recorded divisions plus an additional 12 votes during committee of the whole. Oh, we're counting the committee votes. Those were votes. Well, not the House. Well, the House, yeah. Yeah, I don't want someone to get mad at me because I don't know my procedure. I sat through 125. Most of them. Yeah, all of them, yeah. (laughs) Okay, we are going to take a minute here to talk a bit more about the carbon tax. Murad, there has been so much action on the environmental file this year carbon tax, carbon out, Daniel Smith invoking the Sovereignty Act over electricity. Where do we stand as the year comes to a close? 
Well, I think once you start chipping, uh, you know, uh, bricks out of the wall that you built, uh, you gotta you gotta be careful. You're not taking the whole thing down. And the liberals have been abundantly clear that they are not going to make any more carve-outs to the carbon tax, but then they were abundantly clear that there would be no carve-outs to the carbon tax in the first place. So, you know, it, it is hard to keep that edifice standing when the when other provinces are saying, well, you gave the Atlantic provinces a carve-out, why shouldn't you give us a carve-out? We have this group of people in our province who are hurting because of it, just like you said, people on home eating oil were. Why are they any different? Uh, and and that, that becomes one conversation. I do think as inflation starts to go down, I mean, the Bank of Canada put this at 0.6 points of inflation if you, if you remove the carbon tax entirely, which would be a one-time hit. As we get closer and closer to, you know, the normal quote-unquote rate of inflation, I do think maybe some of the pressure, at least from the public, starts to lift a little bit. Shannon, Murad talks about the bricks coming out of the wall. Is it the Conservatives removing those bricks? Are they winning this fight? I think they're hucking bricks across the parking lot and hitting their targets a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with the idea that as as inflation sort of cools off, people might be feeling less pinched. But I think the Conservatives have been incredibly effective at making every discussion about the carbon tax actually about affordability. And the Liberals on the other side, I don't think have been very effective at sort of arguing their own case, at making the point about who gets more money back, making that a very clear communications point. And so the conservatives are winning. Like they have set the terms of how people should think about the carbon tax. And over and over and over, it is, it makes your life unaffordable. It impacts what you can do. And uh, the fact that they are often stretching the truth to the point of breaking, particularly Pierre Polyev, because he's very good at kind of rhetorical wars, um, is immaterial to the way it's landing with people. It will be so interesting to see if the Liberals can reverse that at all or if the narrative has been set, which leads me to my question for you, Chris. Pierre Polyev keeps saying the next election should be about the carbon tax. Do you think that's what's going to happen? If the Conservatives have their will, yes. If the Liberals have their will, probably not. Uh, and then it's the war of words, because I, I think Shannon especially made a very good point. That is, um, the Liberals in previous elections have fought tooth and nail to make the carbon tax an issue in the sense that they wanted to always peg the Conservative leaders as someone who did not believe in climate change and thus would remove a carbon tax, which they always argued, and many would argue, is, is an, a very effective way of fighting climate change. Now that they've you know, taking a brick out of their own wall, to use Moran's example, um, they're suddenly and at the same time are dealing with Pierre Poiliev seemingly successfully convincing Canadians, if, if surveys are to be believed, that it is contributing to the cost of living uh, crisis. The argument of, look, they want to take away the carbon tax is almost positive right. for mm -hmm. Poiliev. And it changes the dynamic tremendously because now they cannot, well, they will try surely to attack the Conservatives on their green credentials, their climate change fighting credentials, but it most likely won't be through the carbon carbon tax argument that they have. And so in a way that liberals really did paint themselves into a wall with this carve out. Okay, House Podcast listeners, if you want to hear our final music round, I'm sorry to tell you, you won't be able to hear it here. You got to hop on over to the CBC Listen app or head to cbc.ca slash listen and look for the house to catch that final music round. One final chat here, folks. As we wait for the final scores to be tallied up, I will ask the three of you, what is your one prediction for 2024? Chris, I'll start with you. I think that the Liberals are going to continue facing questions about the carbon tax carve-out and uh, general environmental policies and uh, a lot of criticism from the Conservatives, but also from a lot of groups who want their own carve-out. Murad? I think we're going to see a lot of big 
spending and big projects on uh, decarbonization and the green economy. The money's been budgeted, now it has to go out the door. Shannon. I'd say the last year has been the Liberals responding poorly to difficult circumstances and the Tories responding well to very friendly circumstances. So I'll be interested to see whether those trends continue or reverse. Okay. After three relentless rounds of questions and our high-stakes music round, I'm getting word from our control room that the final scores are in. Oh my god, my anxiety just went up. <laughs> Tied in second place, Shannon with 13 points, and Chris has 13. That means Murad you, is the winner round. with 16. Again, Murad the champion, congratulations. What would you like to say to your many fans and admirers? Um, I have not had this much fun in a really long time. Yeah. (laughs) A huge thank you to our contestants, Murad Hamadi of The Logic, Chris Nardi of The National Post, and Shannon Proudfoot of The Globe and Mail. Thanks also to our amazing quiz master, Emma Godmere, and our senior producer, Jennifer Chevalier. Coming up next week, we're going to take you on a very special tour of Parliament Hill. Stay tuned for that next Saturday on CBC Radio and in your podcast feed. A big happy holidays from all of us here at the house. I'm Catherine Cullen. Thank you so much for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.